This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. I'm back from Morocco. I hope you had a chance to listen to some of the one-take, no-edit episodes that I put up while I was there. I had fun doing that, and I hope you have fun listening to them. After getting back, I took off for the coast. Bruce Labar and I led a trip for the Grace Harbor Sherbird Festival, and on a bus with 35 or 40 people, we cruised to some of the local areas on the coast, Bottle Beach, Tokeland, and had some good birds. The festival was in full swing, and the birds were there. Uh, Grace Harbor is a special place. Uh, there are two big areas on each coast that almost all of the migratory shorebirds that breed in the Arctic stop over at. Grays Harbor is one of them on the West Coast. It's right here in Washington. It's only an hour and a half or so from where I live. And it's a big, uh, shallow bay that exposes vast mudflats. Uh, and on those mudflats, the birds stop over and fatten up. They gain 40 to 50% of their body fat uh, in a short stopover of a few days before they take off for the Copper River Delta, which is uh, their next big stopover. There's always a hurry in the spring, so they tend to come all around the same time. They're rushing to get the Arctic to breed uh, during the short window of opportunity they have to breed there. We found really good birds this year. We had a beard sandpiper, which is unusual on the coast in spring. Uh, we had the snowy plovers right at the very northern end of their range at uh, Grayland uh, State Park Beach Access and had a good trip. The birds were in at Bottle Beach at high tides. Everybody got really good looks at the common birds, red knots, and dunlin, western sandpipers, short-billed archers, black-bellied plovers. It was a really good trip. I, I have a lot of photos from that on the birdbanner.com site. You can check out my blog post. I put it up after I got back yesterday, so you can check that out there. I'm excited also to have Art Wong as my guest today. But before I get into that, I want to ask you to please leave a review and a rating on the iTunes store, or wherever you get your podcast feeds. It really helps the Bird Banner podcast to have ratings and reviews there because that helps iTunes and the other uh, platforms know that there are really people who care and listen. So if you care and listen, leave a review and a rating. That will help, it. I'll be, help out, and I'll be very grateful. Uh, Art is a local birder. Uh, he's also a local activist. I've really been impressed by Art over the years. His political activism, his conservation activism, and his leadership in the community have been real assets. And I've always looked up to Art for that. So I'm excited to talk a little about that today with him and to hear about his birding story. So here we go with the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 14 with Art Wong. Welcome, Art. Thanks for coming over today. I really appreciate it. Art's a neighbor. He just had to walk up the street to come over to my place to record this, so made it really easy. And uh, Art, one of the things that I've always admired about you and found remarkable is that you've somehow found a way to be an activist and yet a nice guy without being an obnoxious <laughs> activist uh, in, in lots of areas. Uh, I've been involved in little things with Planned Parenthood and some political events and that sort of thing, but most especially with Audubon things. T tell me about how your experience with Audubon, I know you're on the National Board National of Trustees. National Audubon Board, yes. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, well, actually, I've been a political junkie and a, and a birder for, uh, since I was a kid. So I've been done both for, uh, and I'm seven years old now. So it's, it's been a long time. I yeah. started when I was 12 years old and uh, um, actually in, probably in both uh, uh, about that same age. So it's been a long time. Uh, and I find that they actually go together and complement each other in many respects. Um, certainly National Audubon has become more of a force for advocacy, especially in these times. It's necessary to do so. For sure. Uh, and 
that's one of the things that we've we've tried to do. We just had uh, memorial services recently for Helen Engel, who is also a remarkable activist who did tremendous amounts to save the environment. And her, her one of the things that she succeeded, she was really a community organizer in many respects. And uh, but. She did not have particularly have money to do things, but just uh, was able to do things with getting people together to uh, she she was the person who really turned Norm Dix into the hardcore uh, environmentalist and and, uh, and person who who as chair of the Interior Appropriations Committee and uh, uh, things like that made a huge difference in in funding for uh, environmental causes. So envir- environmental and environmental interest and activism can go together and uh, in many respects we certainly had some fabulous mentors in that regard helen and uh, others in audubon have been spectacular yeah so wh- what does what is the role what do, what is it? i know you were recently the president of tahoma audubon a couple of years ago yes uh, and and tell me what does that involve i mean what would somebody be buying off when they do that and then get into what it involves being on the on the national uh scene well, I've been on the board of both the uh, uh, local chapter, Tahoma Audubon, and, and been president, as you, as you said. And there, it's a much smaller hands-on board as compared to the National Audubon Board, which is a bigger group and where it's, it's clearly staff-driven. I mean, it's a $100 million organization. It has to be staff-driven. And so a very different dynamic there. Uh, with the local chapter, which you're, you're doing, even though we do have staff, you're involved hands-on and in almost in so many projects and things, whether it's conservation work, whether it's advocacy, whether it's uh, education. Um, I lead field trips regularly, uh, do things like that, Christmas bird counts, all that type of stuff. Um, at the national level, it's it's very different. You're more of a policymaker, um, but even there, on a very broad sense, you have input into things like uh, the the strategic plan, stuff like that. But it's but it's a much broader scale, and it, where clearly it's staff driven. Okay, so uh, you go to meetings what several times a year? We have three national board meetings a year. And so they're scattered around in various places. Good birding and, places. Um, oftentimes they're good birding places. I've taken advantage of them to uh, to go birding and do do different things. Uh, usually, I mean, just you have to pay your own way, so it's an expensive proposition being on the yeah. uh, on the board in many respects. But uh, uh, but uh, for example, in January we're in Florida, so I took uh, several days off to. Uh, before before the meeting in this case to go uh, before and after to to uh, ex- do some birding in Florida and the Everglades and so forth and so was able to to get uh, track down three new species for myself and, very nice uh, very nice a three life air board trip that's good yeah <laughs> good uh, and uh, and I know you've been active in a lot of things you were a state legislator and and other sorts of activism do you have any uh, suggestions to people who want to get involved as a maybe an environmental activist or uh, how, how does the person even begin I mean I, I've, I've I have zero experience I mean I go to almost none um, well I would get involved uh, just by finding out locally what's what or first of all just figure out what matters to you uh, if it's climate change, if it is uh, saving a local burning spot, uh, if it so it can go from the very global scale, but nevertheless, like climate change to a, to a very local scale, like saving a local burning spot. But uh, find what something is interest of interest to you 
and find others who are, or they're typically, they're often as a group involved with it. Uh, certainly there are lots of groups involved with climate change, example, for example, or even with saving local, local, local places. Uh, Audubon is often a good place to do it with your local chapter. But find a local group and get involved with others. Um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can uh, uh, find others uh, too, who are also involved with things. Did, I know you're trained as an attorney, I think, aren't you? Didn't you go to yes. law school? Has that uh, background been really helpful to you in, in some of your endeavors, or is it more <laughs> just learning as you go? Um, it Legal background um, was helpful in the legislature when I was a legislator. Uh, I don't, it's not particularly, well, it's helpful in some things. I mean, certainly I'm on the Environmental Litigation Committee, as an example, with National Audubon. And so certainly legal background is helpful there. I've also been a judge, so that also helps it, uh, uh, to just have that kind of experience as well. Okay. So I'm going to kind of flip a little bit. You've been birding since you said, since you were 12 or young. How did you get into birding? Well, there was a National Audubon store that existed at that time in Berkeley, California, where I was growing up. And um, it was a retail store, but it was also kind of a little bit like a center in, some, in having educational things. And it was a very funky kind of thing. It wasn't like a modern uh, retail store. It was more like a used bookstore kind of thing, <laughs> that, that kind of ambience and feel to it. And so um, somehow I would end up hanging out there. And uh, then from there, I would, uh, I just, at, at age 12, I was, I was, interested in nature stuff, but uh, decided, oh, well, I better learn, I better specialize and learn something specific. <laughs> oh, gosh. Forward-thinking 12-year-old. <laughs> or neurotic. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I decided, okay, I'll go, I'll learn something about birds. And uh, so I'd actually, I think, been to a Silomar at one of their conventions before that, and um, just as a, even as a 12-year-old helping out with things. Uh, and I'd met Roger Tory Peterson at that time. Oh, so, wow. Um, but decided, uh, okay, I'd go on some on a birding trips with uh, Golden Gate Audubon. And uh, that opened up a whole new world to me because I'd really never been on field trips before. My parents came from China. They weren't particularly into uh, 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 camping, nature types of things, outdoor activities. Right. And so it was a whole new world for me. So it was exciting to do. Um, on the second trip, I think we had a, we even found a rare bird, and so that was a, an eastern kingbird in California on Bayshore Island in Albany, nice. California, and so and even that an, was, an easy to identify rare bird. Yeah, that's even better. Yeah, and so that was uh, kind of got me hooked on some of that that aspect as well. The chasing stuff, good. Yeah. So you started out with the local Audubon group and taking some field trips. Uh, I know that you grew up in California in the hotbed of modern day birding. Right. So I bet you met some cool people. Yeah, no, they, um, it was really an exciting time in California. Uh, Paul de Benedictus was who was the um, became more of a, a, a scholar in terms of uh, uh, doing a lot of taxonomy and types of things uh, for the AOU. Uh, was the uh, was one of my mentors at that time. Rich Stalkup was one of my closest friends. He and I used to um, uh, go and. And uh, he was like my brother. He oh, would, a legend you know, in birding too, yeah. Yeah, and he was, uh, so he and I would travel around and I would stay at his place and stuff. Uh, in fact, he and I, he, he and, and uh, Ron LaVallee later shared a house with me in Monterey in the, or in Carmel Valley. Um, but Guy McCaskey, who was also another 
uh, legend of California birding. Was uh, I've known him since I was what thirteen years old or something like that. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, just a year ago in January, I went on a on, uh, got to go with Guy to the Salton Sea again. So oh. we spent a day at the Salton Sea, which was kind of neat. Yeah, that, that's it his, is eighties now, like his patch almost. Exactly, that's his that's his specialty. Uh, Dave DeSanti uh, with was also a close friend, and uh, we'd go around doing, running around like crazy. Uh, chasing, I remember one time, I think we went to uh, Honey Lake in northeastern California, decided there weren't any birds there and, and uh, over a weekend, and so we went, drove to San Diego. Uh, <laughs> Just had, a little side. Yeah, side had hurt. four flat tires during the course of it or something like that. But uh, um, but anyway, those are the, some of the crazy things that we would do in those days. Um, Gene and Nancy Hun. Uh, who, who uh, later moved to, to Washington State right. and uh, were, I, I didn't know he started in California. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and he's back there. I now. know he's there now. Yeah. Right, right. So those were some of the people. Yeah. Uh, you, did any particularly memorable trips you took while you were in those days? Uh, it was fun going to uh, uh, things like uh, like Rich and I and Rich's driving. Rich's girlfriend's fancy car, a Lincoln Continental or something of that sort, <laughs> went to Arizona. So uh, this must have been 1964, so I would have been 15 years old. And uh, so he was a year or two older, had a driver's license. Oh, he was he was quite a bit older. Oh, was, than I, I, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but uh, um, but nevertheless. So anyway, we were so we we. It was quite an adventure going to, to Arizona with Rich. He was always trying to do whatever. He, he could to corrupt me in various ways, so they, just, they succeeded. So. <laughs> he had a, he had a yeah. good, good, yeah. good, good plastic to mold. It sounds yeah. like <laughs> cool. Uh, so, so Art, you've been birding for a long time. It, it seemed like, and maybe I'm way off base, that y- you uh, kind of melted into the background of the local birding scene for a while. I think you're busy with a lot of other stuff, probably, but right. you've kind of exploded back in the scene in the last few years. I see you all the time, and we're out doing stuff. Well. Um, yeah, I was busy. I mean, with being in the legislature and uh, uh, raising a family and doing things like that. Uh, so I, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah during the there was a certainly a, a I was a hardcore birder back uh, when I was a teenager and Cal- growing up in California. Went to college, didn't uh, didn't do that much in college uh, in in the East. Then came back to uh, the Monterey area. Was again a hardcore birder uh, in the Monterey area for several years. Moved to Washington State and and uh, as a Vista volunteer actually. Okay. Uh, at uh, Tacoma Community House with through the Tacoma Urban League and uh, uh, was a birder here for uh, for and more hardcore for the first uh, several years here, uh, but then as a particularly as I became involved with the legislature was elected to the legislature and things. Uh, uh, would do things like uh, basically just go on a Christmas bird count once a year, doing things like that for a period of time, and then uh, as I've as family grew up, as I left uh, elective politics and things, had a little bit more time, and so got back into uh, wanted to do, got back into doing something that I loved, which is going out and looking at birds. Sure, that's cool. That's kind of family and work, and I've, I've struggled with those commitments over the years too. I've managed to keep going to some degree but uh, it, it is off and on yeah so that's pretty normal i think uh, art, uh <clears throat> excuse me uh, 
have you uh, have you uh, found any things you? I know you break quite a bit on Rust and Way. What are your local patches? What do you do locally here? I don't really have an organized local patch as much. I do a fair amount just from walking on Rust and Way because I live so close to it and stuff. But just uh, uh, I, I do do a monthly bird trip at Point Ruston, which has also been kind of kind of nice to do. But but I don't really have a particular spot that I go to spot. Uh, I mean, I go to Gogli Heidi at times, but uh, sure. um, the world's ugliest great birding spot, right. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't really have an area here in the same sense that I did it in in Monterey. I would go to to uh, Point Pinos, and um, in when I lived in Berkeley, I would go to Point Reyes. So on the coastal kinds of things. Uh, but it, so I don't have that uh, nearly as much as I as I did when I was in California way back when. Yeah, uh, one of the things that that I think is special about you and your family is your son Alex has become quite a, an ornithologist and birder. What what was it like growing up with a, a birder as a kid? Well, he wasn't a birder as a kid. Oh, he uh, uh, it was one of those things where I would uh, I would drag him along periodically. Uh, he and my daughter. Uh, I would drag them along to different things, but uh, they, of course, hated it. Yeah, uh, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> My kids were the same way. Uh, and uh, yet, nevertheless, Alex then went to college at UC Santa Cruz and ended up taking a field course in ornithology and beer, in birds and discovered that he knew more than anybody else, he, and he was really good at it, and he loved it. Fancy and so that. It was a wonderful, yeah, so it was a wonderful uh, Re- Reawakening. Yeah. Yeah, so he uh, became passionate about it, and uh, it, it's ironic because my daughter has absolutely no int- follows her mother and has no interest in birds whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, Alex became uh, uh, really dedicated to to birds, uh, and in fact, one of the great things also is that he started his first job after graduating from college was at Point Reyes Bird Observatory (PRBO) now Point Blue, that uh, uh, which literally working in the same building where I had worked when I was 17 years old. That is cool. So That uh, is cool. You, you said you had some uh, early work experiences involving birding and conservation. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, my very first job, um, most kids, you know, had paper roots back in those days and things like that. But uh, no, I, I, I stuffed birds. I prepared study skills. Oh, cool. <laughs> For the Lawrence Hall of Science, so that was I would get paid by the piece for uh, uh, preparing study skills for the Lawrence Lawrence Hall of Science, and then my first real job, you know, where you had Social Security deducted and things right. of that sort, was was actually at Point Reyes Bird Observatory, where I was the, uh, which is now a, this enormous enterprise and things on a worldwide basis, but. Uh, uh, in those days, was still new. I was the only staff person, so I was the I was the uh, just on a temporary basis, but I was still the resident biologist. This there. in high school or college? This is uh, I think I was in college at the time, but okay. I was seventeen years old and yeah. uh, 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 just acting as that, but uh, living as the as the person who was at the Palomarin Station and uh, uh, being the the staff person for. For PRBO, mm-hmm. so that was pretty amazing. That is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. it's fun, kind of following in those footsteps after a roundabout way of getting there. Right, yeah. right. Cool. Now, and then now he's he's at uh, in the state of Hawaii for the uh, Natural Area Reserve System. So he's working with a lot of endangered species. He's involved with release of uh, 
Alala, the Hawaiian crow, and Palila, the uh, uh, so various endangered species. He's also doing a lot of work with uh, trying to find nesting sites of Hawaiian shearwaters and things like that. So, so cool uh, stuff. Yeah. yeah, definitely cool stuff. So you've probably had some good Hawaiian birding experiences visiting him. I have. It's been fun to do. I've actually, uh, so I'm probably one of the few people who's, who's had contact with the Alala since they've been released. Uh, I mean, I've just heard that heard it flying by, but nevertheless, uh, when I was out banding with him, um, but that was kind of neat to do to, to uh, just do things like going banding with him. Uh, it, it's kind of a funny there because back again when I was a kid, that I would be um, uh, in my teens, I had a my own master banding permit at those in those days, or there mm-hmm. wasn't a distinction; it was just a right. banding, banding permit. permit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as well as a collector, collector's permit. So, um, because in those days you did a lot of collecting with sure. uh, 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 with actually taking birds, shooting birds, and things. Uh, it's it's seems so far so distant now, but <laughs> I can uh, pre- but it was the standard ornithological procedure. It back was the then. standard procedure back then, and so um, uh, now those things are much more restricted. But um, I, I, when I'm I'm kind of amazed when I think back that. Uh, those are permits that I had when I was 17, 18 years old or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and then you said you had some jobs uh, after. You came up to Washington on a... Uh, I came up as a VISTA volunteer. VISTA, uh, Vista volunteers, that's in my ancient memory somewhere. Remind it was me. considered the domestic version of the Peace Corps, and it's now been succeeded by AmeriCorps. That's so, right. So there, uh, people are more familiar with it as AmeriCorps now. Okay, what did you do with that? I worked with the Asian American community at Tacoma Community House. And so that was a new thing. It was 1973. It was uh, new to me. Um, I, I, I mean, I've, my background is Chinese American, second generation. Sure. But, uh, uh, but uh, the term Asian American really wasn't, uh, wasn't even in, hadn't even been in use or invented until uh, about the 19, early 1970s or so. And so it was the first time experience uh, working with the, the Asian community. That that's just as an aside, one of the things that um, uh, concerns that's been of concern with the birding community and the environmental movement in general has been that, of course, that lack of, uh, lack of diversity, lack of minorities, lack, lack of sure. minorities. Um, it's been interesting when I went to McGee Marsh again on a side trip from one of the Audubon board meetings that. Uh, uh, McGee Marsh in Ohio. It's this famous boardwalk known for sure, the greatest week in birding. Greatest week in birding, uh, but and also warblers and different migrants and things. But I was amazed to see there probably more diversity there just walking around than than anywhere I've ever been birding. Really, uh, just in terms of uh, probably seen more Asian birders there, more African American birders there, certainly more handicapped birders there. I saw. Uh, four people in wheelchairs. It would be just a great the, place to handicap. But I mean, it's boardwalk and you can get around. It's, yes. it's set up for that. It's set up for that. And they make a conscious policy of that. Uh, uh, but uh, there were, uh, I mean, it could literally, it, from one stamp, stamp, standing on one point on the boardwalk, I could look in three different directions and three see three different birders in wheelchairs. So <laughs> that's I pretty that cool. was pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. You know, not to mention the uh, religious minorities also. Um, that were there, so Amish and things like that. So uh, it's pretty remarkable. And I wish that kind of diversity there could exist here. It's just uh, 
I know there have been many attempts to do. I'm involved in attempts to do that to encourage that. But, I saw, uh, didn't I see just uh, on your Facebook page something about uh, like a day or two ago, something to that effect? Maybe, maybe I'm there's been a, a local park or there's been a group uh, that Tohoma Audubon sponsored a group that's been trying to promote uh, uh, bird walks for people of color, especially. That's what I saw, and so that so I've been participating with those, just trying to help out with those. I'm not the lead on those, but I'm just trying to help out with those. That, that sounds like you, helping out, yeah. always helping out. Good for you. Uh, so uh, are, do you have uh, visions of what your birding's going to look like in the next few years, or do you even think about that too much? Well, I'm still trying to get to 700 in the, in the uh, continental. Continent, in ABA, the old ABA. Oh, the old ABA. I'm at 761 or on the... Uh, uh, on the overall ABA now, but I'm still trying to get to 700. I'm still a couple, uh, three short, I think. Uh, well, I'm footloose. If you need somebody to go with, just okay. give me a yell. Okay. I, I'm ready to chase. <laughs> yeah, so I still need to get a few things there. Uh, I'd, I've never been much for doing uh, uh, birding with with uh, tours and organized tours and stuff, but I'm getting older now, and it's, I, it really would be helpful to do it. And, and, uh, uh, so I might do more of that, which yeah. is not festivals are another way to do that. I think festivals are another way to do that. Yeah, yeah, and I've never been big on doing festivals because I've always neither, found that uh, neither have I. Yeah. I've always found that that I uh, enjoyed birding much more in a small group rather than than yeah. big mob scenes and so yeah. forth. And so, I, so I, I feel the same. So that's been one of the reasons why. Um, uh, also, I, as you said, I was not as visible with different things. I, I do tend to go out al- alone with a small group, but uh, much more so than, uh, 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 than, than with big groups of people. It's been fun having you on some of the ABC trips, uh, you know, that Ken leads and other people. So it's been you're a, definitely a, a strong addition to the to the spotters well, and, and it identifiers. It was nice groups. to go on. Um, uh, I took Ken's class a few years ago, and so that was. Uh, because um, I'd never taken, even though I've been doing birds for all these years, I'd never taken a, an actual class. So yeah. um, it was fun to take Ken's class and go on some of the field some trips, the trips with the group, sure. with a group of people like that. Yeah, you know, besides learning the birds, it's, it's just finding the areas in the state. I mean, Absolutely. there's some spectacular places to yes. bird in Washington that. If you're not a birder, you've never been there. No, you've never yeah. know about places yeah, I mean, like that. Little Pond Array and uh, you know, the Okanagan in the winter and Skagit and places like that are just really good yeah. birding. Yeah. Really good birding. Uh, so uh, you said uh, you haven't been on a lot of tours. I, I'm just going to pop in. I just got back from a, a tour to Morocco. Right. Uh, and you know, it's only the second uh guided tour except with friends that I've ever done and and it is a whole different world of birding I mean going to out of the country we don't know the birds and having you know to some degree uh, going with a guide who says see that bird up there that's such and such see right. that bird over there that's such and such which is is cool but it's just not birding to me it's different you know it's a it's it's not going out and looking and seeing a flicker in the bushes and trying to figure out what it is so that's kind of the the joy and the adventure of birding is it's just different when you're on a guided right. trip so right i went on a guided trip in Colombia um a couple of years ago and that was the first time i've really done something like that and it was a different experience in, in doing that 
How, how long was that trip? Was it? Oh, it was about ten days or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so. it can be intense. Yeah, <laughs> it can be intense. Yeah. yeah, especially jungle birding or tropical birding, where there are little bright things up in the leaves you can barely see. It's right. It, it's it, it got to be exhausting. Yeah. I, I haven't really done one in the tropics yet, but that's on my to-do list. And I think there's almost have to take a guided trip down there unless you know the tropical birds. It's really difficult to just go out and find things and identify them if you don't know the calls. It certainly helps to know the sounds. That makes a huge difference. Um, Alex, my son Alex and I actually did uh, Costa Rica together without a guide at all or mm-hmm. with, with just uh, sometimes we'd, we'd have local guides, but that was fun to do and worked that out worked out well. well. Yeah, Costa Rica has a huge good infrastructure for doing things. Colombia does not yet, so real good guide yeah. is really helpful there. My daughter lives in Costa Rica. And, oh, okay. uh, and so I've, I'll have to touch bases with you more about how you pull that off because I, I, uh, yeah, I visited uh, once and I'm going to visit, obviously going to visit again and uh, kind of fitting some birding in around that and is in my plans. Right. Panama was actually a lot harder, I found, as a place than, uh, than Costa Rica oh, just really? because of infrastructure. Oh, I, I so. You say you've been to Panama too. Did you yeah. go to the? Alex and I went there as well. Oh, it's part of the trip. It, no, so, separately. Oh, separately. Separate, different year. Doesn't Panama have the the uh, the canopy places? What are they called? Yes, it does. I mean, we did not stay at places like that when we were trying to do things on our own and things in it. But as found it was um, generally harder to do in Panama. Just didn't have the some of the infrastructure. For example, uh, on one of the famous roads in Panama for birding. You would have to have a car come, going along behind. You would have to bird on the roadway itself. Couldn't and you'd get have off the a road. car going along behind you to protect you from being hit or something of that sort. Yeah. So, uh, so, a little that, bit of a just logistical challenge and, yes. and not quite as much fun. And, I mean, right. when you're feeling that endangered and restrained, I, I think. Right. Good. Uh, so, our. Uh, have you, have you had any kind of bloopers? You know, I always try to ask people, have you had times where you, things just like went all to hell in a handbasket? <laughs> just things didn't, didn't work out the way you thought it might be funny? Can you think of anything? Okay. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about uh, that. Didn't set you up for that very well. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Uh, uh, do you have any advice to young birders? You know, how, how, to, how to get going or, or get involved or... Um, I started out finding, started out by going out on some uh, just Golden Gate field Audubon field trips. So Audubon field trips are an okay way to start. Um, I quickly discovered that it was actually better for me to get in with a group of uh, uh, local people who were just hardcore birders and things, and and uh, uh, more my peers. Right. And so that was. So I ended up doing, doing that but, mostly. But you, but you probably met some of them or heard about some of them on some of them. I mean, it was a, a foot in the door. Sort of right, thing. exactly. It was a foot in the door getting started with uh, the local Audubon chapter. Good, good. Do you have any special... You said you're three more to get to 700. What What do you think is next for you? Well, there's some odd, easy ones to get, just oddball things that I've never... That, would be relatively probably easy. places. Yeah, the the trouble is you have to go to a specific. Have you been to Alaska? I've been to Alaska, yeah, but I, but uh, oh, there are there are still several things I've not been to. Uh, um, uh, some of the specialty areas in Alaska. Uh, there are also things that uh, I mean. I need morning warbler, which is relatively easy. I mm-hmm. need uh, uh, gray vireo, another oddball thing that's that's easy. 
but just have to go to the right area. E- easy is relative, yes, for both of those. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. they're gettable, for sure. Good. So, Art, I know you've been, uh, you do the, the Grace Harbor bird count and the local bird count, Christmas bird counts. You've been the kind of a big uh, participant in Christmas bird counts. Tell me some of your CBC experiences. Yeah, I've been doing Christmas bird counts since 1961. So the first year oh, I started, gosh, so yeah. it's pretty amazing. So, I mean, that's, what, 57 years of Christmas bird counts. I probably missed one or two years in there, but, uh, but on the other hand, I probably do average two or three per year. Uh, uh, so you're so, in triple digits for your CBCs. Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, it actually was kind of funny. The The one time I've been in Time Magazine, of all things. Oh, my goodness. Was uh, in 1961 when I saw a, when they just did a, you know, a three-paragraph blurb on Christmas bird counts. And they said this uh, uh, this 12-year-old saw a slate-colored junco at that time. It was a separate species. Right. Um uh, in Berkeley, California, and for the or on the Oakland, California bird count. So um, that was just one of those little odd things right. that they pitch into us. And they a took story. it away with you with a lump later. They oh, took God. it away with a lump later, but uh, yeah, uh, but that was. Uh, it got you in Time Magazine. It got me in Time Magazine. I've actually added two species to the uh, Christmas bird count list that had wow. never been seen before, which is, seems kind of funny now, but. Uh, uh, then called the slender-billed shearwater, it was now the short-tailed shearwater, but uh, 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 was the first time it was ever seen on a Christmas bird count was wow. uh, back in the 60s. Were you on a Pelagic? No, it was off, from off Tamales Point in, uh, the, uh, at Point Reyes. Wow. Um, so you must then, have had a pretty good look. That's not an easy bird to identify. No, but although... Sooties well, not around that time of year so much? Sooties are not around very much at that time of year. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's part that of it there. Yeah. Um, and then thick-billed kingbird was another one that uh, had never been, as far as I know, had never actually been seen in the winter in the United States. That, wow. Uh, what uh, CBC San, was that in? San Diego. Oh, in San Diego. Uh, Gosh, okay. So I was doing the uh, San Diego count for, for Guy McCaskey in uh, those days. And in the, um, I don't, that might have been the early 70s. Uh, but uh, uh, so those were two that I've they've added. But it's been kind of, Need to know that I've done over fifty years of Christmas yeah. bird. So counts. you're listening to birding history here, guy. I found two new two new CBC species. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, you you had mentioned another thing you wanted to talk about. Art, help help me remember. I'm blanking here. Um, I was going to say that uh, when we talk about going into birds and stuff as, uh, as a profession, as opposed to doing things uh, right. Uh, as an interest, as a side interest, as I've done. I had originally thought about going into birds as a profession. And, uh, uh, of course, this is back in the 60s and days of relevance and all that type of stuff. And and uh, uh, I ended up with some stereotypes that I think were wrong at the time, that I, that I, uh, uh, where, where my stereotype of ornithologists in those days was that they were so narrowly focused on things which which can certainly exist. I but, mean, research uh, in general needs to be fairly narrowly focused. Yeah, uh, but you're yeah, right. But that they would not be. Um, a Ned Johnson at the uh, Museum of Vertebrate Zoology was known for his work on on uh, Impidinex flycatchers, um, or a Dick Maywalt who was known for his work on white-crowned sparrows. And I would think of them as being, uh, you know, oh, well, Maywalt. Uh, he would be so focused on that he would 
uh, if there were any other bird, he wouldn't even pay attention. He wouldn't to see it. the other bird fly by. Yeah. He wouldn't see the other bird, and that was the stereotype. When I think back on it, wait a minute. He's this is the guy who founded Point Reyes Bird Observatory. There's, I mean, that's a pretty broad, all-encompassing kind of thing. It yeah. was, uh, uh, yes, he may have been interested in, in white crowned sparrows, but uh, there was more to him than that. And that uh, I think I was. Uh, being too short-sighted in thinking about some of the ornithologists that, uh, uh, and these were academics that I sure. that I had known uh, in those days, that and thinking that they were too narrowly focused on on things. Dave Desani is another example of a person who was an academic and who became uh, uh, now in, with the Institute for Population Bird uh, Populations and things like that. Uh, uh, that had a much broader impact and broader interests. Okay, good. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little shout-out. Art, Art, along with Marcus Ronig, are, this is kind of completely off-topic, but uh, are doing their Birdathon this, uh, this coming week uh, weekend, I think, aren't you? On May 11th. May, May 11th. So, and if you want to support Art's Birdathon, you can just uh, uh, go. You probably have a page on the Audubon website for that, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, so you can just go to the Tomo Audubon website and look for... Art and uh, Marcus's Birdathon and contribute to that. Uh, Tom Arawan will be uh, grateful for anything you Absolutely. contribute. Good. As will I. Yeah, and that's good. I'll make sure I do that. I, uh, I've kind of fallen through and haven't done a Birdathon this year, so I'll have to contribute to yours instead. That'll work. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's great. Any other things, Art, that you wanted to talk about today? No, I think that'll do it. I think we've gone on long enough, but yeah. uh, thanks. I've enjoyed do- doing this. It's been a fun part of the uh it's nice to talk about uh, birds and, and and incorporating some history as part of that as well. It is so fun. Some... It is fun. Thanks so much, Art. You have a great day, good birding, and uh, take care. Thank you. So check the podcast notes. I'll leave a link to Art's fundraising page for the Tom Audubon Birdathon. Anything you can do there will help. Also, remember to leave a review and a rating on the iTunes store or wherever you wherever you uh, get your podcast feeds. That really helps me be recognized there and the Bird Banner podcast get recognized. I appreciate that. Uh, Thanks for listening. And until next time, good birding. Good day.